The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hi, guys. How are you? Figured I'd start this podcast something new. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. Thanks for joining us on this glorious hump day, if that is uh, when you decided to listen. And if not, thanks for finally getting around to us. (laughs) I know you've been busy. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Uh, what a fantastic episode today, if I don't say so myself. Uh, our guest today, Paul DeGelda. I can't. <laughs> I'm not I even going to attempt try. it. Paul DeGelda. Uh, he's Australian. <laughs> um, he sounds much better than I do uh, trying to sound Fact. Australian. <laughs> um, what a fascinating guy. He's been through uh, so much. He has an amazing story. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but... Uh, you know, Paul's uh, dealt with some tragedy in his life, um, some personal conflict, and he survived it, and he is thriving, and he is spreading uh, his story to, to help um, other people with their trials and, and, and struggles and, and personal conflict. And uh, he's also the host of Shark Week, yeah. and Shark Week is upon us for you Shark Week fans out there. Um and uh, yeah, I, what a great conversation. Uh, also, thank you, Chrissy, for uh, getting Paul to, to do this. I have, uh, I have you to thank. But uh, I, I think, uh, once again, just kind of another interesting guest uh, in the lineup of guests that we've uh, had on recently. And uh, I just uh, I enjoyed so much talking to Paul and hearing his story. It's fascinating. It's thought-provoking. And uh, it's certainly like um, a lot of people who've had their struggles really gives us some perspectives and how we face our own lives, um, you know, um, and uh, just kind of like Paul kind of talked about just, you know, choosing to have the frame of mind we need to, you know, be happy and, and stay motivated and choice is power. I think. Choice is power. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I think I'll just stop rambling and, and get to Paul. Can't stop rambling. We I, did our poll. There was an overwhelming consensus. Vi-Fi's? It was Vi-Fi's. Well, we had other suggestions, which, by the way, thanks for all the litany of... Violets. Liked it. Like it's a bachelorette's violets. Well, I mean, listen... But there is that 10% out there. Our audience is very much female, so that would make sense. But then I feel like we're leaving out, you know? Yeah. There was violators. Well, I, I uh, I used to have a... We met in football tournaments, yeah. and I would make T-shirts for my fake team, my 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 video game football team, and we I called myself the Violators. So that that's been around in my life for a while. <laughs> but I love that everybody got into it and sent in so many like suggestions and so many names, and people like really had fun with it. So I appreciate, appreciate it. that as well. Yeah. And as always, guys, we thank you for listening. And before we get to Paul, uh, obviously, we always appreciate your reviews um, on iTunes uh, if they're five stars. And um, and uh, if you're listening and you take the time to do that, just know that I personally appreciate it. Yeah. It means a lot. Those Wi-Fi's, they got you. Yeah, Wi-Fi's <laughs> get to it. Uh, well, if there's nothing else, I say we, uh, we get to Paul and... Uh, think you're gonna enjoy this one paul thanks so much for coming my pleasure mate i'm uh i'm really excited to, to have this chat with you um i learned a lot about you through through chrissy and all your accomplishments and then i did some more reading and it was it's like wow i could <laughs> really talk for hours. and then you're you have this australian accent which let alone i think my audience will just appreciate <laughs> just listening works. to you for the next hour um yeah, I mean, I le- let's just kind of start by, you know, maybe letting the people know, my audience, uh, who you are and your background and kind of how did you get to be to where you are now? 
Oh, man, that's such a, a long, complicated story. Um, we have time, Paul. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, well, like you said, I'm Australian. Um, I actually moved out here to the US about four years ago okay. when um, Discovery Channel gave me a contract. And that was pretty cool because it was always something I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You grow up in Australia watching American movies, watch Amer- American TV, and then to come out to LA and see all the signs and you see places there. So, it's just awesome. I'm so blessed to be able to live out here. But um, I, I, as a young kid, I, I got into a lot of trouble. Okay. Um, you know, normally as you're pretty good until you hit about 14 or 15 and then you discover girls and yeah. drinking and smoking and- my hometown was the only state in Australia where marijuana was decriminalized. And so, there really? was weed everywhere. How long ago was that? Oh, uh, 70s, 80s. Wow. Yeah. Funny enough, it's where the politicians sit as well. It's the uh, capital of Australia. Also, fireworks and uh, uh, other things are, are, are decriminalized there as well. So, it was a, a funny place to grow up. It's like up. They, they live there, but then tell everyone else they can't Yeah, do exactly. It the <laughs> um, and it, it, it was such a hotbed of- um, It wasn't really racial unrest. It was just everyone had their clique. Like, okay. everyone's stuck in their groups. Very um, segregated. Yeah. And so, I, like, I grew up in a neighborhood of uh, majority Aboriginals, uh, and there was a lot of Islanders there. And so, I had a very mixed friendship amongst all all realms. Uh, but it was, you know, we'd go out on the town, and it'd be the, the Tongans fighting the Samoans, the Aboriginals fighting the white guys, the Serbs fighting the Macedonia. It was all crazy. It was just rolling brawls all weekend. And so, I, me and my friends got into a lot of trouble and drinking and all that sort of stuff. And I ended up getting kicked out of home at 17. Um, and I, I flunked, you know, my last two years of high school. But uh, not because I'm a dummy, but just because- I, I, Yeah, I didn't apply myself and I just wasn't interested. In but I was really, really well read. I read all the time. And so, I knew about this amazing world out there, but- I didn't know how to be a part of it because I was stuck in Canberra. Huh. And it all came to a head one night. I got, went to a party for a farewell um, for a friend of mine who was being deported out of the country for criminal activity. And I got jumped by 20 guys. So that, no, was like, Not I a and we had a good uh, Look, this is the quality of yeah, friends sure. I, yeah. I had. You know, I was working in a behind a bar that was run by an outlaw motorcycle gang. So. Yeah. Yes, and, and I'm like, like I'm, I wasn't a big guy or anything like that. So, so you weren't the kind of intimidating figure that you are. Not at all, not yeah. at all. Like I got bullied at school. Um, it wasn't until about 15 I started doing muay thai, like kickboxing, and okay. learn how to fight and look after myself. Um, but I, I got jumped by 20 guys, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I got to get out of here. I'm going to be dead or in jail by the time I'm 23. And so I removed myself from this environment that I'd become a product of, and I threw everything I owned, which wasn't much, into a, a tiny little car that I had no license for. And I, I drove 12 hours north to a town called Brisbane. And my friend Matt had a job waiting for me for me there behind a bar in a strip club. And I became a rapper, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> as one does. Yeah. As one part. does. <laughs> I needed a- uh, Nick, you your know. upbringing so similar. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know, we did some cool stuff. Um, uh, now let's, when you say you became a rapper, you, you say it as if you're like, you fell into it, but did you have a passion for it? Were you like into the music? Like what made you think? My first album was uh, run to MC tougher than leather on, on cassette. Okay. Uh, and after that I was just hooked. Okay. Um, and so I grew up on rap music. Okay. Uh, and so I dabbled in it a little bit in Canberra with with my best friend, but it wasn't until I went to Brisbane and the guys that I moved in with were from LA, from New Jersey, from the Philippines, from Sri Lanka, and they were all into this. They had this rap crew going and they were running the community hip-hop shows and running nightclub Saturday night hip-hop shows. And so I kind of fell in with them and put a more concerted effort into it. And uh, you know, we put out an EP, which was awesome. We opened up for Snoop in, in 98. Uh, okay, hold on. Time. I, I've I've I went to a concert with Snoop. That was cool. Yeah. What do you mean you you, you opened up for Snoop? Yeah. Yeah. We did an hour and a half opening concert for Snoop in 1990. Did you get to hang with him? No, no. He um he I said want- it was his wife's birthday, and so we were running the official after party. So he didn't come, but the rest of the crew came. And did you get to smoke with Snoop? No, with his crew. Me and me and the mixer or producer or something on on some of his tracks had a joint rolling competition and I beat him. I rolled a 16 paper joint. 
he didn't see, but I was actually rolling it around one of those glue sticks. Oh, okay. And then I just poured it in, and <laughs> so I won. But uh, yeah, it was a good time. You know, I thought, you, you know, this is it. I made it. I'm, I'm going to be a rapper. Rap? No. Do you? No, I still love it. Can you drop some? Hell no. no it's <laughs> not. That was 20 years ago. Okay. Um, but <laughs> right, so you're opening up for Snoop. This is like you're. I'm a. I'm gonna be a rapper. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, I've made it. Not a lot of money in white rappers in Australia in 1998. <laughs> and so uh, as much as we tried, we just couldn't get a deal or anything. And we didn't have enough money to do the independent albums. And it all just fell to pieces. And uh, I was back to working behind a bar and I was just like, shit, is this it? Is this, is this as good as it gets? And um, I was just lost. And so uh, as you do sometimes when you're a bit lost, I called mum and asked for some advice. And she said, she, you know, she recommended I talk to my brothers who were in the army. And so I called them up and they just laughed at me. They went, there is no way you were going to make it in the army. Like, ridiculous. They said, look, but it is great. Like, if you're going to join, just don't join infantry. It's too hard. You won't make it. And so I joined infantry. <laughs> did you do that because it was the, you felt the challenge, the, the doubt? Um, I, I did it because they said I shouldn't. I did it because I didn't know much about the army. So I didn't know you could go in and join as an officer and get a degree and that would set you up for life. I just, you know, saw war movies and thought, I just want to be a soldier. Okay. You know, and so I, I wish I'd had a little bit more guidance than that. Sure. I could have got a free degree and whatever. But, um, yeah, I became a soldier, um, went through basic training, infantry training, got posted to the parachute battalion in Sydney, uh, did that for uh, from 2001 to 2005. Had amazing experiences, you know, the things that people in the real world don't get to do, like sniper courses and jungle warfare and um, parachuting. I got my first overseas trip as a United Nations peacekeeper and served overseas for six months, which was incredible, you know, seeing – the, how the other side live, mm-hmm. you know, coming from a country like Australia and America, we have everything at the tip of our fingertips, you know, clean water and electricity and food. Mm-hmm. And these guys, you know, they collected their water from a tap in the main street. And some of them collected it from the river, depending on the, the villages you were in. And so just gave me this incredible uh, appreciation for everything that I had. So I went home with this, you know, newfound happiness and drive, uh, but it was just training and training and training. And so I decided to branch out and look for something more rewarding. And I, I stumbled across these guys called the clearance divers. And they're kind of like special, you know, the top of the Navy. And I thought, you know, I want to do that. I don't, I could, could have tried out for Army Special Forces, but I was just sick of being dirty and smelly and in the sure. hot ass Australian bush all the time. And so I thought, I'll just, I'll go, you know, I'm, I grew up, my dad was a swimming coach, I was a state swimmer. I'll, I'll give this underwater thing a go. Uh, <laughs> Is that like the equivalent of like a Navy SEALs that we're, we're familiar with? In it's, the it's similar, but it's not the same. Okay. Um, we don't do as much soldiering. You know, we're not getting dropped in by helicopters. Yes. And okay. you know, that's more like the commandos. Uh, we do things like uh, maritime tactical operations. So we'll swim in uh, into enemy terrain in the middle of the night. Uh, on rebreathers so you can't see the bubbles and we'll do bombing raids or clear beach heads for the ships to come in, gather intelligence. And then we do mine countermeasures where we strap mines with plastic explosives. You know, might jump out of the helicopter, swim over to it and blow it up. Uh, Underwater battle damage repair, which is like using all the tools you can think of underwater, like welding and cutting and drilling. Uh, And then um, EOD, so like the movie The Hurt Locker. So we get trained to do that as well. Yeah, and then you can go and do Special Forces uh, Tactical Assault Group, which is the military SWAT team. Wow. It's a pr- it's like one, one of the best roles because it's so varied. Mm-hmm. You never know what you're going to be doing from day to day. You might be jumping out of a helicopter. You might be uh, swimming in the middle of the night. It's just really, really awesome. Um, and then you turn up to one to work one day and your whole life gets flipped on its head. Yeah, and and that's kind of where we're, you're at now. That was the, the shark attack you're uh, referring yeah. to. Uh-huh. Well, if you've been watching my Instagram, I've been roller skating the shit out of my body. And it's been fun, but I'll tell you what, I'm getting a little sore. My hips are a little tight. And uh, I've, I have I woke up this morning, immediately turned on my Theragun, just rubbing it out, rubbing it out. Uh, and by rubbing it out, I mean using Theragun on my, my well, that could have, <laughs> that could have gone I've been using my Theragun. <laughs> that's just all I want to say. I've been using my Theragun. That's what I mean by rubbing it yeah. out. Um, <laughs> it's, it's truly, it's, it's a godsend. Um, it's having the, it's, and it's so easy to use. You would think, you know, 
to apply it on yourself. It takes minimum effort. Uh, it helps with muscle tension, muscle pain, stiffness, tightness, and all of your body, whether Does it's it your hurt? neck. It feels amazing. Yeah. Um, I've been using it on my glutes, my butt, because oh. you know the the roller skating. Any real muscle on your body, it's very easy to uh, uh, um, use. Uh, it's soothing. It's at different speeds. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's so it's so great. Um, I actually I have their small kind of mini handheld one. Yeah. I I love that one, and it it works. I want to say just as good as my other more my the main one. I, yeah, I, it's so great. It's, well, you could travel with it. Yeah, it's a travel one, and yeah. it's so it's like on a plane. Oh, that's nice. If you get like a kink in your neck, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I, you got to I know you, you got, love it. You got I know you it. love it. Uh, try Theragun risk free for thirty days. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen Four with an OLED screen, personalized Theragun app, and the quiet and power you need. Ooh, that sounds fun. Starting at only one hundred. $99. Go to theragun.com slash V-I-A-L-L right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's theragun.com slash V-I-A-L-L. Theragun.com slash V-I-A-L-L. Rothy, I'll tell you what. I, I have a ton of female friends with their Rothy shoes. Uh, they're stylish. They're fun. Best of all, they're doing great things for the environment. They're made of recyclable plastic. Yeah. And then they're easy, like, and then they get dirty. You throw them in the washing machine. They're brand new and they last. It's, it's amazing. Uh, they're comfortable. My friends love them. Eco friendly material, uh, repurposed plastic, like I said. They make bags too. They make bags? Yeah. They, they make, make bags, bags too. Bags? They make like really cool tote you, bags. They even make reversible ones. You can so tell, like, you you can can tell from like, Wisconsin oh, when I say bags. Bags, yeah. But they make reversible ones. So it could be like red on one side, cobalt Boom. on the other. Two for one. For all the outfits. Rothy comes in ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. Rothy is available in a range of styles. Rothy's shoes are seamlessly knit with threads made from plastic water bottles, so they're ultimate, ultra-comfortable as soon as you slip them on. That's right. There's zero break-in period. Zero break-in period? That's fantastic. All I know is that a bunch of my women friends have them, and they don't shut up about them, honestly. And then well, it then makes me really jealous because they don't make not breaking shoes for it me. in like already broken in is huge. Thing it's for huge. Girls. Well, I mean, everyone knows that about shoes. Even I know that about yeah. shoes. Anyways, check out all the amazing shoes and bags available right now at rothys.com slash v i a l l. That's rothys.com r o t h y s dot com slash v i a L L style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash V I A L L today. Now, before that, had you swam with sharks or was this because this wasn't like this attack. This wasn't you out swimming with sharks and something bad happened. This was you doing tactical work just at work. Yeah. And not expecting this to happen. No, not at all. And like I was terrified of sharks. I'd never even seen one. We'd been bumped in the middle of the night when we're swimming through Sydney Harbour and stuff, but you just kind of ignore it and go, no, nah, no, nah, that wasn't a shark. It was just my dive buddy's fin. Really? So, you're like, you're sw that this would happen. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We, like, we would swim for hours all through the Sydney waters in the middle of the night. Um, some of it is amazing. You know, you'll have three guys um, tied to you in, a, in formation and then you'll have another four guys swimming up and behind you in formation as well. And we'll swim like that for hours, you know, going to do reconnaissance uh, training and stuff like that. And you might look across and you won't be able to see anyone next to you, but depending on where you are, you might see the green glow of luminescent algae as it hits your dive buddy and it's just beautiful to swim through. Um but occasionally you'd bump into something. You're yeah, like, I'm sure. yeah, yeah. So we had a small dive team up in Cairns, which, which is northern Australia as well, where the crocodiles are. And a few of the guys have had their fins snatched off by crocodiles over the years as well. So you know, Sydney's well known for its sharks, and uh, so it's just you know it could potentially happen, but because it's never happened before, you're kind of playing that numbers game. Like, nah, it's not going to sure. happen. Yeah. And and then I went to work one morning uh, in 2009, and a, freaking bull shark attacked me 
pulled your leg and arm. At the yeah, same yeah. So I was on the surface. I was doing what I call surface swimming, fin, yeah. like finning. I was on my back in my black wetsuit and a pair of black fins, just kicking my legs, going from point A to point B um, for for some so testing some new equipment. And a, a bull shark came up from underneath me and grabbed me from the the top of my right knee. Uh, all the way up to almost my hip uh, on the back of my right leg and it got my hand in its mouth at the same time. And so I couldn't even fight it off because it had my hand and I couldn't reach the eye with my left. I tried to grab it by the nose and sort of lever it off my leg, but that just pushed the teeth of the lower jaw deeper into my hamstring. And I went to punch it in the nose, but I guess it decided I was food at that point and decided to eat me for breakfast before oh. I'd even had breakfast. Do you have any idea how big this shark was? The scientists measured the bite mark in my leg in my wetsuit, and they said it was uh, a 2.7 to 3 meters, so uh, anyway, around 9 foot. Yeah. So, giant. A bit bigger than me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. And these uh, things are made of muscle. You know, that's 600 pounds, yeah. and they're designed to kill things. It's like a angry, bitey water missile. Do you, like... I'm assuming in traumatic situations, I haven't experienced anything remotely close. I did that last week. Holy, <laughs> holy Starbucks! You just Paul Paul just spilled his Starbucks drink in the closet. Yeah, oh I did that Lord. literally last week. Literally, seriously, thing. how does that happen? It just pops off by itself. You think I would have noticed at the first drop? It's fine. No, what are we gonna it's do? fine. <laughs> um, do you think back and like? Is it all a blur or did it did, did things slow down where you have a vivid recollection of the attack? Um, over the years I've had, because I travel and I speak a lot, you know, mm. used to be on stage. Uh, now it's a lot of virtual conferences. But because I've had that time to sort of talk about it on stage uh, and I went back and I spoke to my teammates that did all the first aid on me, uh, I've had the opportunity to delve into my memories a little bit more and try and piece it all together. Uh, I do remember when I was underwater getting eaten. It wasn't like everything slowed down. It was like all the adrenaline and all the chemicals in my brain just sped it up. And I was sure. thinking a thousand things in a second. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm not going home today. I'm going to die right now. And I remember thinking to myself, am I ready to die? And I look back on my life from where I started out as that lost kid to what I'd achieved in the Navy. And I just thought, man, I've lived 10 lives in these 31 years and I have no regrets. If I'm going to die, I'm ready to go. And so I just basically let go and I was just waiting to die. And then the shark ripped the hamstring out of my leg and ripped off my hand. And so it wasn't attached to me and my wetsuit made me buoyant so i popped to the surface and i saw my safety boat and i thought shit i'm not dead i, I gotta get out of here before it comes back and finishes me off so i start swimming and i take a stroke but my hand is totally gone and my arm ended at my wetsuit and so and you remember looking and having that realization yeah yeah like all of this i remember it Jesus. but every like it's just I, i've talked through it so many times I, I like I know pretty much everything that happened, um, and it was a huge event. Like so many different moving parts. You know, I'm swimming back to the safety boat with one hand, my right, my arm out of the water, trying to stem the bleeding. I got to keep it above my heart, not knowing what's happened to my leg, just knowing that I can't feel it. Yeah. And so I'm swimming back to the boat with one hand and one leg through a massive pool of my own blood. Uh, the guys in the safety boat said it was so thick in the air they could taste it. Uh, the, like the metal. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so they pulled me out of the water, put me in the boat, started first aid. Um, and I'm just thinking, I, I, all I got to do is see my mate Tomo's face. I just got to, if as long as I can see his face, I'm still alive. So my laser-like focus was just keep your eyes open. Um, I think I cracked a couple of jokes. <laughs> I was trying to. Because a sense of humor while I didn't facing want, death. I didn't want everyone worrying too much. So I was trying to like, like, bro, can you make sure someone looks after my motorbike? I don't think I'm riding home today. And he's just laughing at me. And they got me to the, the wharf and my, we had all the scientists that were conducting the study. And my chief who was running the day was there. And he already thought I was dead. Um, but then he saw me move and you know the boat was an inch deep in my blood. And so he located an artery in my leg. Um, and I still didn't know what was wrong with my leg at that point. Like my training was good enough to know that if I looked at my leg and it was horrific, I'd probably go into shock and die. So I, against really? all natural instincts, like kind of the, 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 the way the brain yeah. plays in your survival. Yeah. 
Yeah, the military trains us really well to be able to deal with um, very stressful situations like that. So part of you being able to survive was your ability to remain calm. calm. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. You know, just to think through each section, you know, one, get to the boat. Two, keep your eyes open. Three, don't look at your leg. Why? What is the psychology behind that? Is it because the body, like, it cold itself together or had you... Have you, had you went into shock, would you have lost more blood? Like what, how's that work? Um, I, I was already losing a lot of blood. And so when you go into shock, when you see things like that, you know, even, even when we hear things like that, you can pass out. I've had people pass out listening to my presentations while driving a van around New Zealand. Like just for me telling the you're story. You're listening to this podcast in a car. Put your, <laughs> yeah. your seatbelt on. So you're not wearing. If you look up and you see your own body torn to shreds, yeah. that you know our mind is is such a powerful tool. Um, what can happen is it'll take all the blood away from your external limbs, drive it to the organs that need it. But if you don't have enough blood to operate all that stuff anyway, then you can just die. That's it. Your heart will just stop. Your organs shut down. Wow. Um, and so, so, anyways, you had this kind of wherewithal, which yeah. that even in itself is incredible. That was a real there, shit day. And then your that. your buddy of like identified the organ and yeah. he shoved his hand like up your leg, right? <laughs> yeah. Like I think I saw that. Yeah, the the new guy as well. Um, my chief was like, "Lockie, you gotta you gotta stop that bleeding." So he had to stick his hand into my leg and grab the artery that was squirting blood and hold it closed for ten minutes until the paramedics arrived. So he's like, he, something he said he never, ever wants to do again. You know? <laughs> three of the guys, two of the guys. So it was three guys in the boat. There was Lockie, um, there was Tomo and Darty. Uh, we have like all very <laughs> Australian nicknames, Locko, Tomo and Darty. Um, two of them never dove again. Yeah. As a result of yeah. watching that experience. Yeah. Um, and so the paramedics finally arrived. Uh, I nearly died in the back of the ambulance because I had lost so much blood and they'd given me so much morphine for the pain that my blood pressure was so low and I started not being able to breathe. And one of the paramedics, amazing guy, um, co coached me through it, kind of like turned into a bit of a Lamar's class in the, the back of the ambulance and they got me through and then I just went straight into emergency surgery. Yeah, Luckily, the hospital was only about 10 minutes away. And then that recovery process was a whole nother battle. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the worst part was I had my leg still. You know, the whole hamstring was gone, but I could see my leg. Um, and I had it for a week, but it was just the foot was going darker and darker. And so I started preparing myself for a worst case scenario. And then the doc came in and was like, you know, you gotta, you got to make this choice. I can't do this for you. You know, we can save the leg and cover it with a skin graft, but your life will suck. You know, you'll never run again. You'll walk with a limp. It'll just be horrible. You'll, you can't even feel your leg. And so we can potentially have your leg taken off and have you walking on a prosthetic and even running potentially within a year. And so I just looked at him high on morphine and ketamine, said, Doc, you can take my leg. <laughs> Turn me into a Terminator. <laughs> have you watched Terminator since and like felt more relatable to... <sighs> I see yeah. some of these awesome movies like RoboCop where the guy's on the treadmill running with yeah. these two robot legs and I'm just like, damn, I wish technology was that good now. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it's gotten better. Oh, it's absolutely yeah. gotten better. Um, it has stalled somewhat, though. Yeah. So, and now, like, this is your new normal, right? Yeah. And your life, you know, watching some of your speeches and interviews, I don't want to sound like an over, but do you feel as a, like a rebirth almost in terms of how you've approached uh, life and how this has affected your life, whether it's from a negative or a positive aspect? Uh, not really like a rebirth. You know, I'd, I'd had so many changes previous to that, you know, getting shuffled around with my family because dad was a cop and then, you know, leaving home and then, you know, just thinking I'm going to be a rapper, then that dream shut down and then joining the army sure. and then so many things. I was used to change okay. and I actually realized that change can be a really great thing if we embrace it. Um, in saying that, I bawled my eyes out more nights than I can even tell you with pain and frustration and, you know, because I was looking down the barrel of losing my whole career and that was everything I'd fought so hard for and I didn't 
know what else I would have if I didn't have that. We're living in a content creating world. And I'll tell you what, you got all this content, you're putting it together and then you have, you put all this hard work into it. You want to make it beautiful. And then, oh God, then you have to change it for all your different platforms and Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. God only knows what other platforms I don't even know exist. <laughs> well, if you're any type of content creator, whether you're in marketing, uh, whether, you know, you're just a civilian who's just like wants to get their gram going and yeah. your other stuff going i'll tell you what issue is the platform for you you live to create but you don't live to worry over the last nitpicky details involved in putting final touches on content so what did you so do what you do best and let issue handle the rest there also can rhyme Issue is an all-in-one platform to create and distribute beautiful digital publications from brochures to magazines to sales collateral and more. It's perfect for creators, marketers, designers, educators, publishers, salespeople, or anyone who wants to make eye-catching content. Issue is used by millions of people to discover new content. You'll reach even more readers once you publish with Issue. Best of all, it's free to get started with Issue. Go to issue.info slash V-I-A-L-L to sign up for your free account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash v-i-a-l-l to sign up and let them know you heard about it from our show remember that's dot info not dot com very important go to issue dot info slash v-i-a-l-l to set up your free account today so here you've, you've, you've lost your leg you've already lost your arm and and most of it was your thought processes are like what do i do next yeah uh well it was no it was i gotta get back to work Really? That was it. There, there was no even a mindset of... No. It's, it's, like two days after I had my leg chopped off, the surgeon came into my room and found me doing one-arm chin-ups on the bar above my bar, uh, my bed because I'd, I'd had two days to think about it. And I'm like, I can't lay here being a victim. You know, if I don't do something, I know the slippery slope of depression. When I was a teenager, uh, I was a self-harmer because I was so depressed, but getting bullied at school. The house was so strict. All boys Catholic school was so strict and I had no control over my life. And I used to go home and I used to slash my arms up with a, a hobby knife. Uh, and so I know how slippery that slope is. And I was not going to let myself go down that rabbit hole. Um, there's so many things about my life, you know, as a teenager and stuff, I always regretted and I was always sad about, but it's amazing how powerful those things and those struggles that we've been through can come into play to help you be more resilient in your future lives. And so that actually helped me to, to not allow myself to stick with the negative thoughts so much because they are really sticky. You know, they're yeah. really easy. There's so much easier to be negative than it is to be positive and see everything through rose colored glasses. But I knew the more I practiced it, the better I would get at it. And so I just started training. So for you, so for the people listening in this world, cause we, we live in this kind of world right now where it feels negative. It feels mm. like we get in our thoughts, um, who haven't lost their arms and legs. Well, you it's know? a hand. It's not an arm. arm. Yeah, it's just a hand. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, the, all of this well, has to you have nothing to complain about. Exactly. Oh. All right. But for the people <laughs> who like we, you know, and I, fuck, we, self-pity you know is yeah. is a real uh, dangerous thing uh that we all f i know i do uh, uh but uh and from your perspective it's a big part of it is just trying to make that choice to not do it and and fight through it and then just you know well that's the only power we truly have our power of choice yeah and so how are you going to utilize that power are you going to choose a shit life you're going to choose a good life like it's you know it, working out what I was going to do while I was in hospital and how I was going to get my job back and all that sort of stuff, it was so complicated. I was scared of people staring at me, of self-pity, like how am I ever going to get a girlfriend? No one, no woman's going to want a one-legged, one-handed guy. You know, just all of these horrible thoughts in my head, but it was, it was so complicated. But I'm not a complicated guy, and so I stick to my strengths. I'll make it simple. Okay, I need a simple choice. What do I want? And we can make this choice every day of our life. What do I want? Do I want a good life or do I want a bad life? 
It's, it's that simple. And if you want a good life, then you figure out how to make it good and you follow that path. You practice it. You get better every time you practice it. It's like playing a sport or doing a podcast. You know, sure. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Now, emotions are no different to a physical movement. We practice it. We get better at it. So you practice your happiness. You practice your joy. You practice your motivation and positivity. Like you were saying, you get up in the morning and you go to the gym. You know, we were talking earlier offline. Like It becomes habit. If you don't do it, then you feel shit. It's the same with with your emotions. If you don't practice your motivation, your happiness, seeing things through a light, like, you know, everyone wants to be around people that will uplift them. Or why don't you be that light that you want to see in other people? And then you can uplift them. And then there's two of you. And so it just gets easier the more you practice it, just like anything else. Makes a lot of sense. Um, That's... That's great. And so now you are, uh, is well, you're active. I, I saw a video of uh, talking about breathing and running. You were saying you used to do marathons before <laughs> your accident. Yeah. And there's something in your message, which I really appreciated, like whether you're talking about running or whether you're talking about surfing, um, the challenge might be a little harder now, you know, giving your accident. Um, but you, really emphasize the experience of doing it you know uh it might be harder to surf or whatever but just going out there and the the attempt the effort just kind of being out there is something you've really learned to appreciate yeah yeah i think as we get older we become more impatient with ourselves because we just want to be able to do everything straight away but we don't feel like that as kids do we like yeah, when yeah, you, I guess that's a great point. When you're learning to skateboard or you're learning a new sport, you I'm know, roller skating right now, Paul. How's yeah. that working out for you? Quite well. Yeah, I've been getting good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Do you live down by the beach as well? I live in Venice Beach. Yeah. Oh, I'm at Marina Del Rey. Oh yeah, we'll yeah. have to hang out. So yeah, I'm always down Found at Venice walking my dog. Great. But um, yeah, I see like everyone out on their rollerblades and roller skates and all that sort of but, stuff. Yeah, I've. Uh, but you're right. I'm thinking about that, and there's like a frustration of, or there's more as an adult. What I've gotten worse at that I've I've gotten worse, but challenged myself to do better. Where as adults, you're like, well, I'm too old or like, I'm never going to learn that. So yeah. I don't try. Yeah. Uh, but as kids, we're just like, yeah, sure. I'll yeah. try. Uh-huh. I don't care. Exactly. I'll fail. I'll yeah. fall and we'll just figure it out. But yeah. as adults, we just decide that we're, we're too old or it's too late to do anything new. We'll take that feeling and then multiply it by a thousand because I'd come from a guy that could physically do anything that was asked of me. Like, like you said, like, I, I ran 100 kilometers up and down the biggest mountains in Tasmania as a race for part of the, the Navy team, and I didn't train for it, and I beat everyone on my team. You know, I was that capable, and then I couldn't walk, and I, I didn't have a leg, and I didn't have a hand. I couldn't tie my shoelaces. I couldn't cook. I couldn't do anything, and so one of the biggest lessons I had to learn was patience and perseverance. You've got to give yourself time to learn how to do these things, whether it be work, whether it be becoming a better parent or a better partner or things like that. You have to be more patient with other people as well, because I had to learn to walk. I had to learn to drive a car, you know, everything going, you know, going to the gym with one hand and one leg can really throw out your bench press and squats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? uh, yeah. And so I had to relearn how to use my whole body and, the army taught me a really good mantra back in basic training, and that was improvise, adapt, and overcome. And so I had to utilize that. You know, I couldn't wait bare on the end of my arm to do push-ups, and so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll adapt. Oh, sorry, I'll improvise. And I, I grabbed a bench, and I pulled that in. I put my elbow on it, and I did push-ups like that. I couldn't hold a dumbbell. And so I went on to the internet, you know, the wealth of the world's knowledge, where you can learn to do everything. Like, mm-hmm. So I found a lifting hook that the bodybuilders use for deadlifts, and I put the, the loop around my forearm, and then the hook would hang down, and I could put a dumbbell in it to do curls. We all know curls get the girls. And so you've got to work those pipes. And so, you know, the, the patience and perseverance really, really is an important part of um, not limiting yourself to what you can achieve because we are far greater and more capable than what we give ourselves credit for. We just, we don't apply ourselves like we did when we were younger because we want everything like this. It's yeah. an instantaneous yeah, world now. Self-limiting beliefs. Yeah. These... Um, that's and so that's like that's why i do everything i do 
Yeah. I don't go into the gym to inspire people. I go in there to work out. But a byproduct of that is people seeing me with this big steel hook on my arm and my robot leg, and then they, and they train harder and they come up and they say thank you and you know, compliment me. And it, that's I didn't expect it. I just went in to work out. But it's an awesome byproduct. Of sure. That. Yeah. And so I'm obviously, as you kind of mentioned, people are reacting to you differently um, by seeing you know your prosthetics. Is there, is there a downside to that ever? I mean, obviously oh, the yeah. motivation, but like, oh. I, do you get a lot of annoying questions all the time? Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are some of the most annoying questions <laughs> you get asked? Did it hurt? Did it hurt? <laughs> <laughs> and look at, I hope uh, you have just a smart ass answer. I mean, that. That, that is, that's amazing. I listen in my, I've, not to compare your tragedy, but like I had, I've lived some unique experience on that show. I get a lot of silly questions and it's hard for me. I, I don't, I, some of my friends do a better job than I do because uh-huh. I'll just get asked questions and I'll just ugh, like my face just mm-hmm. yeah. looks a certain way, like yeah. a dick. I'm like, really? Did you ask me that? I couldn't imagine someone asking you, did yeah. it hurt? Seriously. Yeah. And they're probably Absol- being serious when they well, ask you. Well, you know what? I, after a while I thought about, and you know, they their mindset is all oh, the adrenaline would have canceled out the pain and so I, i'm like okay i understand it a bit better now sure. um and i've i try to be more patient but you know some days you just don't want to talk about it and so you, it doesn't matter if you know me from shark week or whatever like if i'm walking down the street everyone's staring at me because how often do you see a half robot dude walking down the street no. and so i realized i could either like hate it and be sad and angry and have a scowl on my face or i could pin my shoulders back and embrace it yeah and like instead of people going oh that poor guy they'll be like holy fuck look at that cyborg you know and i can shift their perception like that you look really badass right yeah you do do. like i mean it looks really cool i don't you know but it's it's pretty good technology you know it's it's a no better time to be an amputee than now but i can't wait for what the future brings out but yeah i get the stupid question sometimes like i won't go to parties and barbecues because i don't know the majority of the people there and i don't want to have to go through the same you yeah. can, right. It's the same. There's always that moment in the yeah. night where, like, even you, you go out, everyone's pretty sober. It's 11 o'clock. All of a sudden, it's 1230. Mm-hmm. And you're probably like, I get the fuck out of here. Because yeah. then all of us, it's that liquid courage of. Nothing I, good happens after midnight I'm anyway. A, you know what? I have the best question for him. We're going to be best friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they come up to you and ask you if it hurt. <laughs> I think part of it is a panic, too. They're Not nervous, knowing what to say. And then there's a, like. Yeah. you know and but then some relatable. people are just rude as well now i had a guy come up to me in whole foods one day stare me right in the face say what happened to your leg and it's like what happened to your fucking manners yeah so i was dating a girl um in the early days and she was all about it and she was amazing she stuck with me through uh, a whole you know year and a half of crap um but then it was like she wanted the standard thing she she wanted to move in then she wanted to get married uh, sorry get engaged and then get married and then have kids and buy and I, I'm at that point in time, I just couldn't do it. I was like, no, I don't. That's terrifying to me. Sure. I need to prove to myself that I can be more than what I am right now because I went back to work with the Navy after six months and they, they said, you can go work three half days a week. And I was like, no, I got to prove myself. So I just went five full days a week and worked my ass off for three years, but it was just slowly killing me trying to keep up with everyone all the time you know sometimes 80 hour weeks you know we go to bed at two in the morning up at six to go back to work after you know doing push-up as you when you get punishments at the navy dive school you get push-ups and so we're doing you know 1200 push-ups after midnight and then i got to go home and then get up and go do pt in the morning so i was just it was killing me and so i just i I had to prove to myself that i could be by myself and so we ended up breaking up um and then it was, it was just me. I was just kind of bouncing around and uh, I've actually had more success uh, with girls since the shark attack. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know what? I, I, it's got, I don't think it's got anything to do with me. I think people are attracted to um, confidence and happiness. Sure. And so I had been practicing that in abundance. And so even though I didn't feel confident on the inside and I wasn't always happy, I was constantly trying to practice it and get better at it. And so even though, even if I was faking it, you know, fake it till you, yeah, make, it. Fake it yeah. Till you make it, you know, the more faking it is just practicing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, I've 
had a, a couple of great girlfriends over the years. I ended up dating um, uh, Miss Delaware for uh, two years. Great. Uh, yeah, she most beautiful girl I'd ever dated in my life. Loved her to death. Delaware. Yeah. Delaware. But, uh, but she she was a triplet too, so she had these two stunning sisters. Um, but then, it was, you know, she, she moved out to Australia and things just got a little bit awkward as relationships do. It just wasn't working out. Um, and so I moved on from that. Met another great girl uh, when I moved out here. Uh, dated her for about a year and a half and she's incredible. We're still great friends to this day. And then, uh, you know, I was just like... I'm not not gonna even look, and then you know that's when you stumble into someone special, and so now I've got this incredible girlfriend. And the, I think the biggest takeaway of all that is, like you said, I mean, uh, for all the fears that you had right after your accident about your dating life and things like that, that really sounds like it really had no actual effect. It yeah. was really just more of a mind frame, and whatever problems you had in your dating life, or if it just didn't work out because of compatibility, it was just like any other person, but it was had more to do with your approach to it and your mentality towards it. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, I, I had probably not serious, but moderate um, self, what's the word I'm looking for? Self-confidence issues um, because of, you know, my robot limbs yeah. and all that sort of stuff. But and, and I try and hide it, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just can't be bothered. Um, and you just – those moments are actually – better than when you try and hide it when you just let your walls down and that- i was just about to ask that in terms of like have you been able to your confidence in showing vulnerability has that drastically changed since this happened it's everything yeah yeah um one of my good friends i was doing speaking in australia and my friend lane lane beachley who's a seven time world surfing champion and i have so much respect for her because of not just surfing stuff but what she's achieved afterwards with her foundations and public speaking and stuff and so i spoke at one of her charity events and it was one of my early ones and i met up with her the next day i said you know what did you think and she said oh it was good but i could see there was something in her i'm like all right come on spill it he said well look it was great but you're just so damn military he says, this happened and this happened and this happened. She's like, you've got to give more of yourself. And she says something I'll never forget. She said, in vulnerability, there is strength. Yeah. So I went home after that. And I'm like, what the hell is she talking about? Does <laughs> she want me to cry on stage? Fuck that. I'm a soldier. We don't do that. But, you know, I respect her so much. I took it on board and I really thought about it. And the next one I did, I, I really opened up about my fears and tried to relate more to how my feelings and my experience directly relates to the audience and all of the struggles that we all go through in life. And men were crying. Women were crying. I've, I've had 68 people pass out, uh, 65 of them men. Um, but, yeah, that vulnerability, you know, allowing the walls to come yeah. down is actually such a great strength and has taught me how to be better in a relationship because of it yeah it's like one of the most confident things we can do is to in at moments say i don't feel confident right yeah. now i don't like that takes a lot because oftentimes we have a hard time just putting that out there because that that's the scary part just like what bugs you? Well, nothing. Well, not yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the old way. But we all know where that path leads yeah. because it's been leading there for generations before us. The the silent masculine male leads. You know, it's it's just not healthy at all. It leads to depression and PTSD and alcohol abuse and mm -hmm. possibly domestic abuse and all those sort of things. So why would you want that? Just let it go. Like put it all out there into the universe and let the fucking universe deal with it instead of keeping it in here in your little universe. Yeah. Have you, has your approach on masculinity really changed? Oh, yeah. 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 Dude, I was like the epitome of a fighting, grunting, swearing soldier. Like <laughs> we don't show feelings. What are they? They're for civilians. Uh, <laughs> just fight through the pain, shove it down deep. Um, so yeah, totally, man. Like, uh, like you just said, you know, one of the most confident things you can do is let down your walls and, and be vulnerable. And I totally agree with that. And so now in your career, you're one of the hosts of shark week, you're doing motivational speaking, um, before we kind of have some fun and finish things off with shark week, but you know, what are some of the things that are a big focus when you're speaking at corporate events and um, how do you kind of tie it all in to the men and women that you're, you're speaking to? 
Well, I don't, I'm not the sort of speaker that jams information down your throat. I like mm-hmm. to be a lot more subtle than that. And so I go through the stories a lot like we have today, mm-hmm. um, but a little more in depth. And I try and make each section a bit of a lesson um, so that it ties directly into to people's lives. So the reason I do the bit at the start when I'm talking about me growing up is because uh, either people in the audience have gone through that as well with the self-harming and the mm-hmm. bullying. and yeah. the, So they can identify with that and feel like they're not alone. And two, and like it's not normal and they can let go of that. Two, a lot of them have got kids that are going through it right now and they don't know how to deal with it. And so I, I give them a little bit of – uh, relief to think that if they just keep loving their kids, then eventually it'll all work out. And so not to panic, you know. So every little part of that journey has a lesson that hopefully will identify with my audience um, and they can just take what they want out of it. And so everyone just – everyone goes through shit. My story is no bigger or better than anyone else's. It's not better than yours. It's just different. But mm-hmm. the tools that we can use to get through these struggles and bad times um, – all the same you know sometimes you just need the right tools and often that tool is simply the right mindset and so i try and help people with their mindsets of looking at struggles the looking at change as an opportunity for growth instead of an uncomfortable thing you should fight against so all of it you know sort of ties in really well and uh, I get incredible responses. Um, stand, every job I've had in America when I was on stage was standing ovation, had lines of people across the room to get the book. And so that makes me feel like I'm doing my job right. That's, I feel pretty good. Yeah. How have you uh, adapted to kind of the new normal that we're in right now with the climate being what it is? I mean, do you are, do you use the lessons you've learned in life to apply that to what's going on in the world today? I try. Um, it doesn't always work. It's such a, a huge shift for a lot of people. Um, not so much for me because I'm not a lot changed. I stick to my very close knit group of friends and I spend a lot of time with my dog, a lot of time exercising. My biggest gripe was, um, I couldn't go to the gym. And so, you know, all the home gym workouts and, yeah, it was fun for a week and then you just get sick of working out on your apartment floor and, yeah. and then the lack of funds coming in. Um, but I, I was fortunate that I knew I was going to be on my own in America. And so I'd saved up a lot of money just in case I needed a buffer there. But a lot of my friends out here don't. Some of them are actors and they can't work and, you know, the restaurants have shut down so they couldn't get work. And so uh, I... I feel better through comparison as bad as that sounds and you know i try and help them out as much as i can but there's only so much you can do so you have to try and embrace those spare moments that you have with positivity and try you know if you sit back and just accept it and go this sucks lost my job nothing's going to work out the world sucks it's all horrible then you're just going to go down that rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. And so you can feel like that. There's nothing – don't never feel bad about feeling bad, but don't let it ruin your whole week or your whole life. You know, if it sucks, work out a plan. You know, you're not going to be able to get anywhere if you don't see the opportunity in what is happening now. Um, and some people have really risen to that and some people haven't. But it, it's understandable because we've never been through this sort of thing before. Um, and I think the biggest struggle for people is the financial thing. Yeah. If if you're not worrying about that, then you've got nothing to complain about. You know, I'm not talking about illnesses and things like that. Sure. But um, yeah, it, the people that have lost all their work and lost their businesses and lost their homes, you know, they're the people that need our assistance now. Yep. Yeah. Well said. Um, Shark Week. Shark Week's coming up. <laughs> and a lighter note. Yeah. On a lighter <laughs> note. Um. It's comes out in uh, first week of August. Yeah, August 9th. Uh, you are hosting Shark Week. I host uh, a couple of documentaries that are that go on. So Discovery Channel gave me a contract for a bunch of years. Uh, I do three new shows every year, which is incredible. And then they replay my old ones as well. Uh, so it's almost like Paul Week sometimes and some days. Uh, but it's just such an incredible opportunity adventure. I never thought that my life would be this good. I would literally pay to do the things that they pay me to do. Um, and it's, you know, it gets better and better. 
you know, the people that you meet, the adventurers, the people. Like I got to work with Ronda Rousey. I got to work with Will Smith. This year I got to work with Mike Tyson, which was the most terrifying thing. I saw that. And How not- was that? I don't, I'm, I've, I grew up watching Mike Tyson. Same, same, man. It wasn't terrifying because it was Tyson. It was terrifying because I thought he was going to die. Uh, working with like Will Smith and Ronda Rousey, those guys, like elite athletes still, you know, print, well, Will, you know, he's a pretty damn good athlete to be able to do Muhammad Ali and all these sort of things. Like he's fit as shit. Um, those people go into it with an open mind and sort of excited and stuff. And so it's great to expose their fans to sharks as well. But Mike went into it with nothing but unadulterated fear. He was throwing up before or after every he dive. He was truly afraid of what? Truly afraid. Wow. Um, and I'm assuming it. Uh, we everyone needs to watch it because yeah. it's going to be really interesting. It's it's really interesting. And so the the premise of he's kind of going up against a shark kind of. Oh man, look, it's that's clickbait. Like okay. Mike Tyson's going to knock out a shark. You know. Yeah, you mean obviously like <laughs> a shark, but um, what what we're going to do is teach him how to uh, knock out a shark without using his fists. Okay. How to do it gently and peacefully Um, but to get him to that point where he can get that close to that many sharks um, you can only do it while you're feeding him because if you don't have food they're not going to swim that close to you so we had to put him in the midst of a feeding frenzy and I I can't say anything to spoil the show because it's really really good Um, and it's not just a celebrity it's not we're not doing this for fun one is because we get to bring on a whole generation of Mike Tyson fans into Shark Week that will potentially watch it for the first time and learn about sharks and you know the the more people that learn about it and see that they're not mindless killing machines the more people will respect them and if you respect something you want to protect it and so that's that's my main goal through working with people like Mike is to to spread the shark love Um, and two you know they were putting fin cams on the sharks they study their movements their mating rituals all that sort of stuff and so uh yeah it it is a good show anything else uh shark week related that uh, you want to mention or plug uh, Uh, i've got my new book coming out soon actually as well yeah um i i wrote a book in uh 2012 um it was called no time for fear and it sold incredibly well but i'm having a lot of problems getting commercial quantities into america and i was selling bucket loads at the presentation so now i'm, I'm working with uh, one of my best friends grant jones he's a, a, a welshman he's a iraq and afghanistan veteran he's got a bunch of his own books about iraq about uh, roman history but he's also a ghostwriter for james patterson and has new york times bestsellers with him so he's helping me develop and rewrite the whole first part of the story and then add on the last eight years as well so everything moving to america you know dealing with fear dealing with sharks like what it's like to swim you know 110 feet deep with four great white sharks without a cage you know that sort of stuff you know, Jesus. parachuting the cage <laughs> Yeah, I feel like every year it's Discovery Channel trying to decide how are we going to kill Paul this year? <laughs> well, like it just as like a regular person. So I went to South Africa. I went on one of those tours. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. We went on a boat. We were out there for a really long time. And they're like, okay, here's this cage. You're going to get in it. Uh-huh. And then we didn't even have breathing tubes or anything. They gave us a weight belt, actually. What? So it was like seven people in a cage. They gave us like a weight. Each person had like a weight belt and you kind of held on to this cage. On a snorkel? Not even a snorkel. Oh, my Lord. And they like threw this bait out. Uh And then as the great white shark came and some of them were like 16 feet, I think was like one of the biggest ones that we saw. But as they pulled the string with the food and the shark comes straight at your face Uh and they say, okay, go. And you drop yourself with your weight belt down to the cage. And hold your breath. And hold your breath. Oh, that's. And then as the shark comes at you, then you're like, okay, it went by me. And then they kick yourself back up and you like grab up again. Well, Joe Romero, who's another one of the Shark Week guys, an amazing underwater cinematographer, he and I run trips to Guadalupe, Mexico to take people diving with great white sharks there. Um, It's awesome. Like you've got breathing hoses. We had a 16 foot um, great white turn up. I think the footage from that is actually on a Nat Geo show tonight. Um, because she grabbed onto the whole side of the cage. Yeah. And you would think people would be scared. The three girls in the cage didn't blink an eye. They were getting closer with their cameras, <laughs> taking photo, yeah. taking video of this gigantic female shark shaking the whole cage. 
And so me and Joe run trips down there to help people experience, and it's pretty awesome. I think if anyone's interested, we've still got six or seven spots open. Yeah. That's super cool. Oh, wow. That people can just go and, like, yeah. track down. You just jump on my Instagram, and we have the details on there. Uh, and then as far as – when's your book come out? Um, I'm hoping it's going to coincide with the opening of Shark Week, so the start of August. Can we pre-order? Uh, not at this point. It's It's going through final copy editing now, and then I've got to – get it printed all right we'll make sure to check out uh it's gonna be called uncaged all right make sure to check out paul's book uh make sure to check out his instagram make sure to check out shark week uh when shark week start august 9th, 9th. august 9th yeah the tyson show's on opening night so okay don't miss that yeah that's what i yeah i saw that i wasn't sure if that was the beginning or the end of shark week yeah that's the start okay uh, do you have time for one more game paul but yeah absolutely you know yeah do you know me with paul de galda it's <laughs> terrible Australian accent. You're like uh, Steve Irwin off South Park. Yeah. You can imagine like trying to fake an Australian accent to meet a girl and just sound creepy and weird. People do it but all the time. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't because I know that I'm not good. Yeah. At it. Uh, all right. Question number one. Has Paul or does Paul ever have an imaginary friend as a child? And if he has one now, I'm going to guess no, he doesn't have one now. Probably not now. As a kid, did he ever? I'm going to say no. I'm gonna I'm gonna say after no. hearing the history, I'm going to say no, too. I don't think he had an imaginary friend. Kind of. We'd, we'd, because we lived in Canberra and all our family was in Melbourne, we'd do trips down to Melbourne. It's like a 12-hour, 10-hour drive in the van because there were six of us. And so to keep me occupied, I had this guy who used to – ride along next to the car and he had a bike that could transform into a skateboard or into a, a surfboard and he just sort of like do tricks alongside the car as much as you know i needed some entertainment and like if he we went on for bridge his bike would turn into a surfboard yeah. and go in the ocean so, so i guess kind of that well, sounds like a yes it, it sounds like so a yes sounds like a yes part-time imaginary friend That's part- yeah. <laughs> all right that was a softball paul uh, let's see here. Has, uh, let's see. Okay. Here's another softball. Has Paul ever popped someone else's pimple? I'm going <laughs> to say yes. Cause it's for me, one of the greatest thrills of all time. Really? I think it's so gross. I <laughs> hope not. Hysterical. I'm going to say no. It's so gross. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I'm, I have, but I agree with you. It's, <laughs> I have done it because it's been friends. But it's so satisfying. But, it's so no, it's so <laughs> like I get chills gross. just thinking about it. Uh, no. So gross. Okay, I guess I'm the weird one. Uh, all right. Uh, has Paul ever been punished with community service? So you said it was a troublemaker, but I don't know if he ever. Yeah. Or in the army, sometimes if you don't do something or if you like disobey, would that up. be like community? No, community service is like you're on the freeway picking up garbage. They do do that actually. Yeah, well, yeah. you have to but go and, like, like clean the bathroom. Se- yeah, they t- they do do that. You got to do I'm community gonna, service on the base. Okay, but no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I've, All right, I, I I never got caught, and the two times that I did get caught shoplifting, um, the first time they called my parents out of respect for my dad's position as a police officer, and she said, "Just call the police." Uh, <laughs> but no, no, I did get uh, I did go to court once for smashing a, an unshatterable bus shelter window uh during a fight but i just you know, just got a good behavior bond for six months all right question number three has paul ever had sex on the beach i'm gonna say yes he's around like beaches all the on, time yeah right i'm gonna say like, yes absolutely <laughs> under the stars on a blanket in the sand dunes oh nice talk about romantic um question number four has paul ever had a bowl cut a bowl cut? A bowl cut. Like a bowl haircut? We're relatively relatively the same age group. You know, bowl yeah. cuts were real popular when I yeah. was a kid. Me too. My mom used scotch tape on our hair um, to make the bowl cut. I'm going to say Paul has had a bowl cut. I'm going to say no. Absolutely, I have. Oh, man, this is we were worst. poor, man. Six people on a policeman's bowl cut. Wage. I had a rat tail yeah. for a yeah. mo- moment. Yeah. A rat tail? Yeah. Never it was a. It was the. It was the hair long on top. Yeah. Shaved around. Yeah. Bowl cut. Rat tail oh, coming out man. from the shaved. I mean, hello, Wisconsin. And it sounds crazy, but I got <laughs> a lot. it was like that's so cool, man. I was like, I know. Um, wild. Something to hold on to when the guys are having sex with you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I was nine. So. Oh, okay. yeah. That went wrong. So maybe not that time. <laughs> no. At the time, but yeah, now, sure. <laughs> now, sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, last question. Can Paul name three characters from Game of Thrones? Cersei Lannister. Uh, oh, I'm shit. gonna say yes. <laughs> I'm gonna say yes because immediately he's like, I can, I can do this. Uh, come on, three and anyone. I never watched it. Three. Oh, you didn't watch you it all. I I I started once and I just didn't. I'm sure I'll get into it. I I fought against it for probably two seasons okay. because everyone was talking. I don't like being a part of like yeah, everyone's. That's kind of oh, have you seen the new episode? No, I just can't do it. And oh lord. <laughs> All right, so we're just talking between you and me now. <laughs> you, you, you can't know. You can probably name seven or something. Oh, uh, yeah, I can name a few. I, I did kick into it and watch the whole thing after about season three. But, yeah, Cersei, the um, the Mountain, um, uh, Arya Stark, like Ned Stark. Like okay. I could just go through the stuff. I'm going to do one more because I saw this question. I think it's pretty good. All right, I'll try not to answer it too quick. Don't. Has Paul ever toilet papered a house? A car. Why did I answer that? <laughs> really Come bad. on, give me, so give me one more go. Give me one more go. What do you mean so toilet paper? Please. What you toilet paper to car? What do you mean you toilet paper to car? It was it was on base, and my friend parked his Toyota Celica right in front of our barracks, and so we did unspeakable things to it, and not just toilet paper. We uh we had this thing in high school, junior senior wars. And, you know, it yeah. was exactly what it was for like the week of homecoming, the juniors and your seniors would toilet paper each other's houses. It got out of control where like there was like 20 cars of like driving around to people's houses oh, wow. and we would parents would get really mad. And then there was this we were juniors at the time and I'll never forget this. He was he was a popular kid and he was. We just wanted to, and he's like, you're not going to get my house. And they guarded up. So like five of our friends woke up at like four in the morning, like you, because they were expecting it. And we got like just um, barrels of toilet paper and we spent an hour toilet paper in the whole thing to the point where it was, it was bad. It was so much toilet paper and trees that it was, it took months for it to go away. And we Did put you plastic forks in the lawn. It was really. Did was you come bad. from a well-off family? No, uh, we, well, we, middle class, okay. was, you know, but we weren't, my, I have, I have 10 siblings, so what? I don't have a memory. Ten? Yeah. I don't have a memory of my parents not being stressed out about money, oh, but at the seriously? same time I had a very, I mean, I was relative to the world. I was okay. a very lucky kid, but it just sound, had to get by. It sounds like something well-off kids would do. We, uh, we I, were more like sneaking out the windows in the middle of the night to break into cars to sell things yeah. to people like where you. Where I grew up was, yeah. It was, <laughs> so we could have money. People like you. Yeah, where I grew up was very, yeah, upper suburbia. Like, yeah, in relative to the world, we had very little to complain about. So, yeah, well, probably, yeah. It was very, yeah, we had things, we had we had time to tell people... Uh, so I failed your really simple game. It's okay. Feeling just no, we still, the- listen. The goal it didn't fail because we learned. We still learned. We learned about things you. about you. That's all that matters. Yeah, uh, Paul. I really appreciate it. It's been a ton of fun. Um, you obviously are an inspiration uh, to people out there, and, and and you know so much about life as we get older is about perspective and how we apply our thoughts to our own lives. And obviously, you do such a great job of that. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, mate. Uh, obviously don't forget to check out Paul's uh, book when it comes out, check him out on shark week, uh, follow him on Instagram. Where can people find you on Instagram? Hold a gilder. Uh, and, uh, until next time, uh, we appreciate you listening. Don't forget to send in your questions at asknickacastme.com cast with a K for our ask Nick episodes. And if there's nothing else, we will see you on Monday. <laughs>